Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. I am Justin Ulrich. I am a longtime friend of the ranch, and I'm so glad that you are here. I just want to give you guys a couple. This is for free as in with my message tonight, but this is just for free. I just want to tell you a couple things. My goal is to help you guys grow in faith, is to help you encounter God over the course of this weekend. And a little bonus, this is for free. It's good advice, though. I, uh, I picked up the woman who is now my wife at something like this a long time ago, okay? Now, I'm not telling you to be on the prowl. This is what I'm telling you, okay? Because, listen, ain't nobody got time for some lecherous eighth grader following them around camp, all right? Don't do that, okay? But I just, this, this is what happened. I was that lecherous eighth grader. True, this is, and this is, this is for free. Has, my message has, is entirely different than this. This is just free advice. So indulge me. Uh, there was this blonde girl. And you know when you see her, you know what I'm talking about, guys? When you see her and it's like the whole world is different than it was a second ago, it's all of a sudden like radiant beams of light. And I saw her and I, I elbowed my friend and I said, who is that? And my friend, wise friend, my, my friend said, don't even worry about it. She's so stuck up, she will never even talk to you. True story. That happened. Okay, now this is what I did. Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, that was in eighth grade. By the time I was a senior in high school, prayer and fasting took me a long time. One day, my phone rang. And it's this blonde girl begging me for a date. Tell me how that's possible. Prayer and fasting. Some of you guys need to skip some meals. <laughs> and just pray, just pray, just wear those knees out. I, this is, you know, the, the funny thing is, uh, some of the details in that story that you think are made up are actually true. And, it, yeah, anyway. But some other ones are probably made up. Anyway, but don't, I won't tell you which. Um, but I want to help you grow in your relationship with God. And I've been doing ministry for long enough to know we got to start at the very beginning. we got to start with your conception of God because I'll tell you, if you start wrong there, it goes really poorly for you. And I run into this toxic belief about God quite often, way more often than I should, especially among people who've been in the church world. And it, it baffles my mind. But this is what happens is that you grow up in the church world and, and sometimes well-meaning people who are hoping to help you get right end up telling you all these things you should do that are right and these things you should don't that are wrong. And then you end up in this framework where you conceptualize God as this kind of cosmic rule giver. And he's a lightning bolt thrower to those who transgress his arbitrary rules. And he's a rewarder of those who actually do the right thing. And you think to yourself, if I could just do enough do's, then maybe I could become the who that I need to who. And never mind. But you can't do your way into a who. You have to start with the who, and that who is who he is, and you have to understand who he is. And so I want to suggest to you a more biblical metaphor, a more biblical framework for who God is than cosmic buzzkill rule giver, guy in the sky waiting 
for you to screw up, this, this person who looks at you and you'll never measure up to his lofty standards and his holiness is this weight that seems to drag you down. And I, I just, I, we need to get uh, somewhere different here. And so we've got to start at the very beginning. And so um, this is in the first chapter of John. And what we're going to do is uh, over our time together, we're going to walk through the first five chapters of the gospel of John, but I'm going to skip the third chapter because everybody knows the third chapter of the gospel of John already. Because even if you've never read the Bible, you all know the verse in John chapter 3, verse 16, and you know it, right? So we'll just skip it, because you, you know that, okay? And we'll just skip that chapter, but we'll move all the way through chapter 5, and we're skipping it just because I want to. Listen to this. This is in John chapter 1. Now listen. Here's what I want you to listen for. What does this say about God? What does this say about him? In the beginning was the word. John's borrowed this Greek concept of this eternal wisdom, this logos, this idea that, that, that like knowledge and wisdom itself existed as personified force in the very beginning of time, in the beginning, at, at the dawn of creation. And so he's doing this thing where he blends this ancient Hebrew tradition that God spoke the world into beautiful existence and he's mashing it together with this Greek conception of, of the secret wisdom and knowledge. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, the Word eternal. He's been there since the very start. And what's he like? He was with God in the beginning. Thank you, you told us that, John. John likes to repeat himself to make sure you get it. Through him... All things were made. I just need to time out for a second. Do we have any makers in the house? Are you a maker? You have your own little Etsy shop. Anybody? You no, know, we have no makers. I have no artists. I have no artisans. I have no painters. I have no sculptors. I have no rappers. I have no uh, poets. Thank you. Finally, the makers in this place. You guys make your own clothing. You know these people, right? You know, they're, they're makers, they're tinkerers. Who likes to, who, who, who built the best fort that the world has ever seen when you were 11 years old? It was a feat of childhood engineering. You, even if it was just pinning up blankets in your living room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The world needed to witness the artistry of you as a maker. You know what I'm talking about? The delight that you show. Let me tell you a little story. This has nothing to do with my message again. This is just because I'm wasting time because it's fun to do that sometimes. I once built an underground fort because I wanted to. Because there's something inside of us that recognizes we were created in the creative essence of the ultimate creator. We were made to be a, a work of art in the hands of a great artist who is unleashed as an artist at work in this world. And so I dug a hole, a deep hole. My friend Nick said, we should dig a hole today. And I said, why, why shouldn't we? That's a great idea. Let's go. Let's see how far we can get. And we dug a deep hole. And then we dug a second hole. And we connected the one hole with the other hole with a tunnel. And we ended up realizing because the tunnel kept collapsing on us and we kept burying his little brother, Corey, and we thought he would die. It's okay. They had several other children in that family. We thought Corey would die, so we pulled Corey out of the dirt. And we said, you know what? We really 
trenches would be safer. So we built trenches and then we reinforced with, with, with wood and we put plywood down and we put mortar on top of that. And we had these you know, structures in, in place. So this whole thing happened and we ended up with a system of five tunnels interconnecting with three different pits. And they were big enough and we had ventilation shafts that we put up with PVC pipe and you could put a candle inside of them and it would allow the smoke to rise and we could go inside of them. This was our paradise as children until the lot that we built this in was sold and somebody wanted to build a house on it. And we didn't tell them that the fort was there. You couldn't see it. I mean, you could drive right past this forever. I took my dad in it, who was an actual engineer, and my dad was like, son, I am so proud of you today. Today, here's what he said to me. I'm 11. You're a man. You, today, this is the day. You're a man today. I didn't even have a hair on my chinny-chin-chin chin yet. This is so cool, Right? And we're watching this construction crew unload heavy machinery to begin excavating this piece of property. And we're watching from my friend Eric Abraham's living room. And we had all the neighborhood you know, boys around watching this thing. And someone said, should we warn them about our whole fort? And I said, no, why would we warn them? And this man got off on this device. It's called a skid steer or a bobcat. Maybe you've seen them. It's like a little tiny piece of machinery. And if you have a five-year-old in your house, you know what they are because I do. And that's all we read is... Good night, good night, construction site over and over and over again. I have the whole book memorized. So I know about skid steer and what he can do. And this guy came down with his skid steer and he got near the main pit. And the main pit of this fort was probably 15 feet around and um, probably a good 10 feet deep. We just dug and dug. I'm telling you, we were just diggers because we're makers, made in the image of a maker. And here comes the heavy machinery. Now, we were good engineers. We, you could walk on this thing and it, you wouldn't fall in. But we were also like, what, 90 pounds and 11? And this heavy machinery was a little heavier than us. And so he's going, and we're like, oh, <laughs> this isn't going to end well. And, and then we saw it happen, and the, the, the wood began to splinter, and the ground began to move, and he had no idea. And all of a sudden, this man and his machine disappear into the earth, <laughs> and they're swallowed whole. And we're like, you know, all of us in the living room of Eric Abraham's house are holding hands. Did we just kill somebody? <laughs> we might have just killed somebody. And then Nick, my friend, it was his idea all along. He said, but they ruined our fort. <laughs> and so here comes this guy. He crawls out of the fort. He's got diesel fumes everywhere. And he goes, it's booby trapped. <laughs> And they came and they, we had to tell them and we had to apologize because our parents were good parents. <laughs> Through him, everything was made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He's a maker. God is a maker. He's constructive. He's generative. He's life-giving. He's not into destroying. He's not into that. That's the enemy's job. This is the one who gives us life and life abundant. This is the one who his very essence is creative. His very nature is artistic. He's a maker. In him was life. Listen to this. This is so beautiful. Listen, 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 listen. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. 
This is life and light. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. This is so good. This is so amazing if you can get this. From the very beginning, God is creator. God is maker. He is life and light. This weekend, I want to explore the thing that I think God does better than anything else. And, and, and we, this theme is, is beauty from the ashes. Have you ever stopped to consider? Just follow me on this. This is so big. We spend so much time trying to manage our sin. We spend so much time trying to do bad things less and good things more. We spend so much time trying to perfect habits of personal holiness. Listen, I came from that background. I get it. I know it. I'm intimately acquainted with that. I had the bonfire. My Led Zeppelin box set went in the bonfire because my youth pastor told me it had to, and I'm still mad at him about that. Your youth pastor is way cooler than mine, okay? All we ever did was prayer and fasting lock-ins. No kidding, Right? Hey, we're going to go on a youth group trip. What are we going to do? Prayer and fat. We're going to pray and fast. Now, the, the good thing is I got that blonde girl because of that, though. So it wasn't a total loss. Anyway. Some of you, anyway. You, just, you don't get my sense of humor yet, but you will, I promise. By the end of this, you will. Okay, look at the way. This is so important. This is so good. God is up to something in the world. He is up to something in humanity. He is in this great project of restoration and reclamation. He's trying to take the mess of our world and redeem it, restore it, rebuild it. He's trying to do this, and he wants to do it first in you, then through you, out into the world. He wants to realize his created intention through you as an expression of his artistry, as a work of art in his hands, and you'll go be unleashed in this world as an artist at work, and you do this so beautifully and so powerfully, and you reflect when you do this the very essence and nature of God. In all the things he made, you and me, we collectively are, are what reflect his image to the world. God wants to do something in history, and he does it through you and in you. He expresses this part of himself exclusively in humanity. This is just, this should blow your mind. This should blow your mind. Look at the way that the proverb describes this. And now I just, real quick, this is in Proverbs chapter 8. Now what you need to know about Proverbs is in the book of Proverbs, uh, the author has used a literary technique called personification. And he has, uh, he's personified two realities, wisdom and folly. And wisdom is personified as like this wife of noble character. It's like this beautiful, virtuous, wise, amazing woman. And folly is personified as like this tricksy, lying, manipulative, seductive, like kind of nasty woman. And, and it's just like this, this advice is given to a young man, and he's like, you've got wisdom, and you've got folly. Like, you've got this, like, crazy lady, and she's going to be, like, drama and codependence and, like, a future you're not looking for, and you've got this other thing over here, and, like, choose wisdom, and we get this. Now, this is so cool. Now, I think here, he's talking here about wisdom, lady wisdom personified, but I actually think, we just read in John chapter 1, right, the word who was at the beginning, who was there when everything was made, I think... That wisdom, standing here with God, personified at the dawn of creation, I think it's Jesus. I think this is a type of Christ before we even knew his name. Okay, listen. Listen to what he says. Then, this is in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. Then, and I'm telling you, he's, he's just talked about creation, 
how wisdom was there at the beginning of all creation when the world was made and all things were laid. He said, then I, this is wisdom speaking, I was the craftsman at his side. At the very beginning of time, wisdom was the craftsman. And that word could also mean artisan. He was the artist at the side of the creator, standing there. Just get this picture in your head of God and Jesus standing together side by side. The Holy Spirit's out doing cool stuff, and they're in this cool divine dance of triune power. And God's like, what are we doing? And Jesus breathes this artistic life into creation. And he's like this architect or artisan or craftsman. And he brings this created intention to everything that's happening. And he says, Then I was the craftsman at his side. Listen to what he says. I was filled with delight day after day. When was the last time you experienced true delight? I mean, real delight. Like like unshakable, uh, just you can't rattle the cage. You can't shake it off you. There's just joy erupting out of you. You know, when it hurts so bad. Have you ever laughed? Let's just be real honest for a second and vulnerable with one another because we're trying to get to know each other. When was the last time you laughed till you peed? Just, okay, some of you, you didn't need to verbally answer. Don't, don't be that vulnerable with me. Someone just elbowed their neighbor and said like five minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> I mean, really though? This is like, you gotta, we forget this. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. You will find some old English translations where that word rejoicing is laughter. It's laughter. And it, it, that would be, you know, the, the Hebrew word here carries this notion of a child that is so, um, I think, I don't know what they're called. Uh, the giggles, you ever, you ever get this? You know, and it, the, the, what, this is what the translators ran into. And I, I've read up on this, and this is true. They ran into this problem where it looked like, this is about the creation of humanity, and it looked like God was laughing at people, and it carried the wrong meaning. And so they ended up with this thing where it's like, no, I'm rejoicing in it. I'm not laughing at it, but like, can you imagine engaging in a project that brings you such joy and delight, it fills you with laughter? Can you imagine bringing that much joy to something? Like, you're, you're just going about your business, you're just doing your thing, but it's so fun. I approach that sometimes when I do something like... Um, I create a romantic experience for my wife, you know, or like I, um, I, I am preparing something beautiful that I know other people are going to, you know, I, I almost went to art school and I didn't go because there was this blonde girl that at the time I was chasing and she went to this other college and so I was still trying to do the prayer and fasting chaser thing and she went to this college and so I was like, they don't do art at her college, so I became a pastor. Um, because she went to a Bible school. I got to do something, right? I mean, I'm going to chase the girl to school, and it's like, what, are they, what kind of school is that? They're like, it's a Bible school. And I was like, oh, I'm called to the ministry. Some of you are judging me so hard right now. You are like, that is so unhealthy. I married her. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, okay. 
I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in you. At the beginning of time, God had a picture of what you would be like, and him and Jesus shared such delight in that, that a triune God delighting one in another in this perfect dance of powerful, interdependent community took pleasure in the thought of you. Now, I know you're cool, and you're old now, and you're really mature, and you don't do the giggles very well. So I've, I have a video here. This is my five-year-old son. And just before you do this, I want to talk about this beauty from ashes. So my five-year-old son, a little over a year ago, was poisoned with toxic levels of uh, raw elemental mercury. And he almost died. He was one day away from death. And he regressed and became like nonverbal and like lost half his, a third of his body weight and like was in the hospital. And this whole thing happened. And so anytime we see now my son, who's, he's healthy and normal and fine. And this is a long story. I can't tell you about all this. But anytime we see him, we just look at him because we marvel because he is our ashes to beauty story. He is a miracle. God met us in the middle of the mess, and he rescued our son, and he did something so remarkable. And so he had his friend, um, Bibi, we call her Bibi. Uh, his friend Bibi was over, and I don't know why. This is why kids are so much cooler than us. For some reason, Bibi and Dietrich, my son's name is, is Dietrich, Bibi and Dietrich said the word juicy, and you see, you got a little giggles. You guys are like, you're like in the, I mean, you're kind of, I'll be honest with you, you're kind of novices at this. Like, it was like, a, you gave me like a courtesy laugh. Let, let Dietrich and Bibi show you what it looks like to appreciate the, the inherent humor in the word juicy. Just watch this. Just, just delight with this. That's probably, I think we get it. They probably carry on for a good 10 more minutes because it's hilarious to say the word juicy. And I don't know why somebody's snorting up here in the front row. And now, listen right here, you're getting it now. Welcome to the big leagues. Welcome to the big leagues. Welcome. Follow me on this because this is big. And you guys, this is, I'm about to drop this on you because I know it's funny and I know it's good. But listen, this is so big for you to get. This is how God feels about you. Like he, 
He thinks you're fun. He loves working with you. You know that thing we do where we feel like we screw up so we hide from God? They, we've been, that is a universal human instinct. It's been since the very first human being transgressed God's law, our response to our own imperfection, him because he delights in us, that actually our mess is where he meets us. Our imperfection is where he does his best work. Our problems are where he unleashes our potential. This is the heart of, of God the Father for you. It's the heart of Jesus, who is the wisdom that was there at the beginning of time, laughing as the thought of you crossed his mind. He knew what you were going to be. He knew what you were going to do. He knew your story, and it brought him such great delight. He laughed. He rejoiced. He delights in you. He delights in you. Paul picks this same thing up in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen, as for you, and this is a long passage, and I don't even know if we need to get into all this. You know this passage. You've heard this before. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And I love how he's just, he just faces head on that everybody's got a past. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's a mess. You, you did all this crazy stuff and you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit is not working. Those are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. We gratified the cravings of our flesh and followed its desires and thoughts. In other words, we did whatever we thought was right and it ruined our lives and a bunch of other people's lives. We just chased our appetites around and if I, if I felt it, I just did it and I just went after it and it was awful for us. We were at this time by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great Love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. You didn't deserve it, you never will. He loves doing it. He chose you before the foundations of the earth were laid to come into contact with his grace and mercy because it's fun for him. Because he takes pleasure in watching your mess become a miracle. Because he takes pleasure in watching your pain and problems become great potential that you could never have imagined before his spirit touched your story. He loves doing this. This is the grace of Jesus. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness of Jesus Christ. God has a project. He wants to show the whole world through you. If you are like this exceptionally talented and just gifted individual that everything you touch turns to gold and you just have all these skills and you're just a great person and you never do a selfish thing, like I think God could maybe still use you. It's possible. But I don't know of anybody like that. What I know are people whose lives and stories are in some different degree of a hot mess. I know people that are all kinds of screw-ups. I know people that do all kinds of stupid things, that chase after all these crazy things to try and earn approval, and they fall into these false formulas of significance, like my worth is the sum total of my accomplishments and my achievements and other people's opinions divided by the square root of how good I look on Instagram. Okay, 
And we do these goofy, goofy things to earn approval, and we do these silly things, and we chase after all this stuff, and we do this because we have these cravings in our heart. And what we're, what we're missing in all of that is the whisper of a God who says, you're mine. You're my project. You're a work of art in my hands. You're the canvas on which I paint. You're the story that I want to write the next chapter in. You are the clay under the hand of the potter. You are, listen to what he says. He, he wants to show in the coming ages the, the incomparable riches of his grace. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. You can't boast. It's not by works. For we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, his artistry. It's a beautiful Greek word that Paul employs there, poemar. It, 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 I, it's a beautiful word. Craftsmanship, handiwork, artistry, masterpiece. It's this project he, he just can't wait to work on. Have you ever seen a true artist at work? Have you ever seen somebody who just does something and you're just blown away by the way they do it? This is who our God is. This is what he wants to do in you and through you. This is what I believe about you because it's here, it's in scripture. So let me just remind you for a moment about what God sees when he looks at you and then you can go to sleep. And here's what I want you to do this weekend. Soak in this. Just eat it up. I've heard this before. God loves me. Yeah, that's good. You know, here's the problem. You have heard it before. You have to get it from your head to your heart. And that's a confusing road for some reason. We have a lot of pathways where that gets distorted. And somehow we have to get what we know intellectually into the core of our being. We have to digest it spiritually. So we begin to live out of the abundant life that Jesus has paid for us and bought for us and wanting to put inside of us. We have to live from that source and we will find all the silly things we used to do and had all kinds of power that could disrupt us. They just fade away. So two thoughts on this and we're done tonight. One, God's heart toward you is delight, not disappointment. God is not disappointed with you. I know you're disappointed with you. I see it on your faces. Some of you struggle with guilt and shame. Some of you put these emotions on top of you, and it's just you'll never be enough. You never measure up. You know, here's the thing, though. You never will. Our culture, we live in, in, in this culture and we swim and we soak in this cultural soup. We're constantly reminded what we're not, what we lack, what we aren't. And we expect somehow to be buoyant and just uh, joyful despite all of that. We have to learn to hear the whisper of the Spirit of God that says, you are enough. I delight in you. I love you. I adore you. I see in you unrivaled potential. I see in you unsurpassable worth. I love you so much. I gave my own son that I could claim you and redeem you and restore you. God delights in you. He's laughing. He, he, he's, he's rejoicing in who you are and, and who, who you can become with his help. We can stay away from the foolish and destructive dumb stuff we do chasing our identity or we can listen. We can listen to the whisper of the Spirit that says, I delight in you, my child. Um, I'm a parent now for the last 10 years. I don't think I ever got this. I, I'm not saying that you can't get it. I'm saying I don't think I ever got it until I held my baby girl for the first time. 
I would do anything for her. Like all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I get it. People have been preaching about the love of God for me forever. It's just unbelievable. So all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that's what this means. My kids do embarrassingly stupid things. Um, some of you guys are like honor roll students. I don't think that my children have that in them. Okay? Um, we, have, we have issues. Our, our family, we got issues. Okay? We are, we are a goofy, awkward bunch right now. Okay? Our, our kids are so poorly behaved in public, we've decided just to move to the desert and live like recluses. Okay? We just, we can't bring, I was going to bring them here this weekend, but I was embarrassed by them, so I left them at home. I actually locked them under the stairs. I'm just kidding. You guys, see, of course I didn't. I love them. I delight in them. They can do no wrong in my sight. I see them, and other parents roll their eyes at my kids, and I'm like, I will fight you right now. <laughs> Laugh at my child again. I'll punt you. And then her husband stands up, and I'm like, I'll punch you too. Like, I, th- I, th- I love them. I delight in them. I find such joy in them. They make me happy, we, uh, even when they're goofballs. Number two, and we're, we're almost done. Number two, God's plan for you is driven by artistry, not anger. Artistry, not anger. He wants to do great things in you. He loves this. This is what he does. We disqualify ourselves from the future that God has for us. We disqualify ourselves from the extraordinary life that Jesus wants to build in us because we say things like, not me, I screw up too much. Or, I, I, we have all these excuses and we pile them onto God. And here's, here's the deal. This is what I need you to get. Your part in the equation of how God wants to transform your life, the role you have to play is almost insignificant. What, what Jesus needs from you is permission. Not a whole lot of effort. He needs from you surrender. You, you essentially need to do this. Okay, do your thing. Do your thing, God. And you posture your heart in the right way. It's not like you have to work it up or strive it up because here's, here's the deal. And we, we forget this. Our ability or inability matters very little because we're the canvas. We're not the painter. We're the clay not the potter. We're the story, not the author. See, God is at work through us and in us. He is, he's the one that does this work, and we just have to let him do it. You are the medium for the greatest creative force in existence. Your life is what God uses to create his best art. I have an uncle named Santino Polidori. And I was here at the ranch one time telling stories about Santino, and all the staff left to go find cannolis. Um, and so I'm just going to tell you the story. So one time we're hanging out with my, he's a chef, my uncle Santino Polidori, he's a chef. And I love hanging out with him. And we're hanging out at his house. I love hanging out with him because he's a true artist at work. He's so good at what he does. I just, he's amazing. He's this lifelong chef. I mean, best food you'll ever have. And we go to his house, and he just makes these feasts, and it's this incredible thing. He lives in Detroit. And we're hanging out. And he comes home at like 11 or 12 o'clock, and I wait up because I just, I want to meet, I want to talk with my uncle. He's amazing. And people are going to bed, and I'm, I'm waiting up for him. And he comes home, and I said, oh, Uncle Santi, I said, what did you do today at work? And he said, uh, oh, I played with a, with a 92-year-old master pastry chef named Joe DeVita. And I said, what? 
He said, yeah, I made cannolis all day with a master pastry chef named Joe DeVee. He's 92 years old. He said, I'm trying to get his artistry before he dies. I'm trying to make sure his knowledge and skill and master, his, his mastery of baked goods and pastries gets passed on to the next generation. So I'm learning from this. I said, you, you did what? And he, he brought up this plate of cookies. And he put them down on the table. And I knew they were cookies because he told me they were cookies. But they looked like they weren't cookies. They looked like fruit. Every one of them did. Like the strawberry, I was like, that's a real strawberry. And I picked it up and it's not. It's a strawberry-flavored cookie that has been so artistically made, it would have fooled you. And there were figs and dates and pineapples and oranges. And each one of them was so, I mean, I, I couldn't believe the detail. I'm like, how did he make these? And they were delicious. And he said, yeah, you know, we made 500 cannolis today. And I said, why are, why are we in your kitchen right now? Let's go get the cannolis. And he said, well, it's one in the morning. And I said, I don't care. And so we got in the car and we drove back to his restaurant. And we boxed up, you know, there's, there's this, I don't even know who the woman is. There's one woman left at the restaurant still cleaning something. And we come in and, you know, come into the kitchen. And she says, oh, hey, Sandy, how are you? And he says, hey, I need, um, I need a box of, of the cannolis we make. Can you get those boxed up for us? And she says, yeah, sure. And he looks at me, and he looks back, and he goes, three boxes. <laughs> and so we did. We took him back to the house, and we sat down, and listen, one bite. One bite. It's the work of a master artist here. Uh, we're not talking about, you know, some store-bought, you bought at the grocery store. We're talking about a master pastry chef who put this together. I mean, it's just, you marvel at that. That's what God does. He makes the best cannolis. No, that's not what God does. What God does is, is, is your life. It's your story. You are the medium that he does his best work. You're where he wants to put his glory on display. You, your transformation, the grace and beauty that he's building into you is how he wants to show the world who he is. He's a maker. He's a maker. Let's pray. Lord, your heart toward us is love and not loathing. It is delight, not disappointment. It is artistry and not anger. Your heart toward us is good. Forgive us, God, as we struggle to trust you. Forgive us, God, as we struggle, as we put you into the box of our preconceived notions, as we put you into these limitations based on our past experiences and our faulty understanding. Awaken us to the reality of who you are how great the Father's love is for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.